Women Today. Faster my good afternoon. It is Friday. It's just gone six minutes past two. And this is Women Today on Manx Radio with me, Beth Espy. And a little bit later, we're going to be catching up with Judith Lay for all the latest news as the Guild reaches its climax this weekend. But first, it's another Conister Rock special where we invite our studio guests to take us on a musical journey through their memories. And we also get to hear part of their musical choices as well. And I'm delighted this afternoon to be joined by someone whose day job is that of a freelance branding consultant and copywriter, but someone who also uses her creative talents to inspire others through writing workshops, is also an award-winning published poet, a founder member of Poetry Unlimited, the team behind the Manx Bard, Oh, and incidentally, her porn star name is Fluffy Corin. Janet Lees, welcome. Thank you, Beth. I'm sure you've never been introduced in that way before, but you know, <laughs> no, it's, it's, no. it's an icebreaker. Um, now, we do ask our guests to choose five pieces of music for this programme. How did you find that process? It was almost impossible. Um, when you think about how much music you listen to in your lifetime and how many pieces that you love, I must have changed my mind about... 20 times it's really really hard but I did try and pick things that kind of related to moments in my life that were pivotal really that you know that really are full of memories so well take us back first then to your childhood you lived in Liverpool until you were seven uh, then you moved to Norfolk and you spent the rest of your childhood and teenage years there how would you you sum up your childhood it was very happy really um, I mean I was really happy we were, we were very happy in Liverpool and I uh, I had a massive resentment against my parents for making us move down south because I really didn't want to um, but actually it, Norfolk is lovely as well and we live quite close to Norwich and it was a great place to grow up so yeah I had a really good childhood two sisters we were always playing out together and um, I suppose we spent a lot of time outdoors because we were lucky enough to live in a very safe place so yeah it was great you say your granddad was your hero Oh yeah, he absolutely was. He uh, he taught me how to do skimming stones, and he was from Liverpool as well. But they also moved down to Norfolk um, when when they retired. So uh, he was a huge part of my childhood. He definitely was my hero. Yeah. And you spent quite a bit of time um, on the island during summer holidays. What was the the Manx connection? Oh well, my um, my grandfather Harry Corrin was a Manxman. And um, my grandma, Eva, she was from Liverpool, but she moved over here when they were married and um, just after the war, during the war, I think it was. And uh, so my mum grew up here and my, you know, that part of my family is Manx. So we always came over for holidays from a very young age. And even through your school days, you showed a a bit of a flair for poetry. You had a a poem published, I believe, in a school magazine. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. I think when I was about... um, must have been about 10. I was thrilled. It was great. Do you remember what it was about? Um, yes, I do. It was about um, it was about dreaming. It was called Dreaming. It was about dreams. And uh, it was a, was it a rhyming poem? Yes, it was a rhyming poem. Yes, yes. I'm getting the sense you don't want to recite it to us. <laughs> Am I right, Janet? Yeah, yeah, you might be right. I, I think we'll just leave that one. <laughs> Tell us about the first piece of music you've chosen. OK, I chose this because my parents, when we were growing up, they had a lovely, um, you know, record player, hi-fi system. And um, we didn't have that many records because I think they were probably quite expensive then. So, uh, the, but the ones we did have got played to death and um, one of them was Simon and Garfunkel, um, Sounds of Silence. They had two, two Simon and Garfunkel al- albums and I just know pretty much all of the songs off by heart and it just reminds me of that time, sort of going from childhood into adolescence because those songs had a kind of, 
they've got a very lyrical quality. The lyrics are fantastic, and they really spoke to me as a as a as a budding teenager, I guess. So this is Simon and Garfunkel, America. Simon and Garfunkel, America, Janet Lee, swaying wistfully to that song in the studio. Taking yes, you back to a, to a particular... She's lost it. She's lost it. You're completely <laughs> lost in memories there. Um, I know how important words are to you, and we're going to be talking more about that a little bit later, but what about music? How important is that to you? Oh, God, I think music is as important as words. Um, it's incredibly evocative. And there's been times in my life when I've I've not... I've hardly been able to listen to music because I just find it too emotional because it is such an emotional thing. I guess it's like smell, you know, that you hear the few notes of a track that, that it just takes you right back to that time as a smell does. You know, you, you just, it's, you're right back there and you can feel the feelings and it just, yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. Thinking about particular times and the smells and sort of evoking memories, um, you loved Christmas as a child and <laughs> once you woke up at 2.30 in the morning. What reaction did you get from your parents? They weren't time? very happy, but um, 
we didn't realise. We thought, we, we, I don't know what we were thinking, but uh, we, we did absolutely love Christmas. And I still get that feeling at Christmas, you know, that kind of sense of it being magical and, you know, the big build-up and everything. I mean, I don't I don't love it as much as I used to, but, uh, but yeah, we did. We woke up at 2.30 in the morning and they had to bribe us, basically, to go back to sleep by saying, well, you can have one present from your stocking if you'll promise to go back to sleep. So we did. Do you we remember kind what of you did. got? Yeah, I got, uh, it was these amazing, I, I meant to bring them with me, actually. I got these amazing little wooden dolls, like Russian dolls, but they were Japanese figures and they just had two little figures inside them. So it was a, I've still got them in a, in my grandma's magic cabinet, actually, because my grandma used to have this cabinet with lots of curious things in it, in the Isle of Man. And uh, we inherited that uh, from her and we, it, we, it's peopled with very odd things. So they're in there. Janet Lees, thank you so much for being our Conister Rock guest this afternoon. You're listening to Women Today on Manx Radio. It's just coming up to quarter past two. The Nation Station, Manx Radio. Women Today. This is Women Today on Manx Radio, 17 minutes past two. And this afternoon, it's a Conister Rock special where our guest talks us through some of their memories and some of their favourite pieces of music. And the writer and poet Janet Lees is with us this afternoon. And Janet, we've been hearing about your almost idyllic sounding childhood. I mean, did you know when you were at school what you wanted to do with the rest of your life? I kept changing my mind. Um, I did really want to be a vet for a long time because I just love animals. We all do really in the family and uh, I get that from my dad actually. He's totally soft on animals. Um, but then I realised how long I'd have to study to do that. And I wasn't particularly strong on the sciences. I was stronger on the arts. So then I wanted to be a writer. Yeah, I wanted to be a writer, I guess, from quite a young age. Yeah. Now, your life sort of changed quite considerably when you went to college. Why was that? I um I did actually I was thinking about this this morning because I was going to go and do a degree in English and um and I changed my mind at the last minute and kind of followed my heart and went to art college and then after a year I transferred to a different course when I started uh, so I did a split between visual arts and writing and as I started to write I started to write about some things that I'd maybe kept suppressed or whatever and it kind of I think propelled me into a bit of a breakdown to be honest um, which can happen if you start to you know express things and you don't really know you haven't got the tools to deal with the feelings that come up and there was no kind of it's quite a long time ago you know there was no it wasn't so obvious where you could get help for that kind of those kind of feelings um, so yeah it was quite a difficult time actually the, the years at college um, particularly the two years sort of in the middle now, you, I mean, you described it as a breakdown and you have spoken in the past, you've been incredibly open about about it. And I suppose it, it was a different time. Are we, are we much better at talking about those things now, do you think? Yeah, I think we are much better. And um, I've just, it's funny because I'm just doing some work for a client at the moment and it's all about mental health in the workplace. So, uh, so yeah, and, and the whole thrust of their campaign for their employees is, um, you know, uh, people are talking about it now but the way that they're positioning it is that people are starting to talk about mental health and this is now you know so we do talk about it more openly but there's definitely still a kind of stigma around it and people don't want to admit that they have it even to themselves they they, they kind of you know we kind of avoid it really so it's a tricky one um, but it is incredibly common I think it's something like one in four people um, in their lifetime will have some kind of uh, mental illness. It could be depression, it could be, you know, it could be more serious than that. But one in four, and then they say something more like three in four, will have some kind of symptoms. So it's really common. So we, we should be talking about it more, really. So 
doing this writing unleash these feelings which you say led you into depression the, there wasn't really the resources to deal with that so how did you cope then it was quite interesting because i was uh, i was i was at college then and um i mean i was suicidal actually i uh, it was quite serious and um I was just told to take a year off because I was a danger to myself and others and that was kind of the college's attitude because they just they didn't know how to handle it um luckily I had a GP who was amazing he was only young he was re- recently qualified so he was quite close to my age I guess and he was so supportive and I went to see him and he, he you know he gave me some medication and stuff that really really helped and he also said which helped even more you know if ever you want to talk come and talk to me so sometimes when I felt really that there was nobody else to talk to I'd just make an appointment and he just said look I'll block out several appointments and that he was amazing he was really ahead of his time Dr Munsell I'll never forget him you know he helped me through quite a tough time so extensive research now has been <clears throat> done into the benefits of, of what's known I suppose as therapeutic writing and you yourself are qualified in writing for well-being how much of that was prompted by your own experience um it's mostly prompted by my own experience, I guess, because I have, I mean, obviously I experienced that time when I started writing and I was writing about things that I'd, I'd kept bottled up, you know, difficult stuff. Uh, uh, one of them was the death of my granddad, actually. And I, you know, I wrote about that and I, maybe I'd been, maybe I hadn't grieved properly. I don't know. But um, so I was aware that, that the feelings can be very powerful, but also that the writing that comes out of it can be really powerful. I wrote some really quite extraordinary stuff, you know, when I started to be honest about the way I was feeling. And also I have experienced the huge benefits, you know, the therapeutic benefits of that kind of writing as well. I think, I always think of it as like um, coming at the big things sideways, because if you if you try and write a poem about my divorce or you know you know the loss of a loved one you're coming at it head on you can't do that but if you kind of work around the subject by looking at metaphors and writing from objects you really do come at the subject subject without meaning to and then it and then it's much more I don't know it's much easier to explore and the results are typically more real and more honest I guess. Is that only an avenue that's really open to, to creative people who've got the, the urge to do that sort of thing in the first place? Well, first of all, I would say that everybody is creative. <laughs> We've had this conversation before and uh, I, I really do believe that and everybody can write every because everybody can express themselves. We all talk. Some people find it easier to express themselves that way, you know, by talking. Um, and some people, like me, I find it easier to express myself in writing. Um, and so it's absolutely there for everybody. And it's not really about, I think the key thing about when you're doing expressive writing or thera- therapeutic writing or writing for well-being, it's about the process, not the product. So you're not trying to create a perfect poem. It's just about, it's about a bit of a splurge really and getting it all out there onto the paper. It's incredibly liberating actually, can be. <laughs> uh, you've been instrumental in developing uh, the hub down in Port Erin where I'm guessing um, people are encouraged to do this sort of thing that you're talking about yes it's been amazing I mean I haven't I haven't personally been instrumental in the hub that's Janet Bridal as you know but I have obviously been instrumental in the creative writing there and uh, we've done two years of lots of different workshops in writing and in art and we're just embarking on a third year now with the very kind support of the Arts Council who've been amazing Um, they're very very supportive of this and it has been phenomenal you know we've had people from all walks of life all ages um 
totally mixed abilities. Some people can write, some people have never done it before, or they haven't written since school because typically they were told that they were no good or there was no point in doing that, you know, because it won't get you a proper job, all that sort of stuff that silences us. And they've all found benefits without a doubt. And for some people, it has been completely life changing. Something that was life changing for you was just before you turned 40 and when you decided to stop drinking. Why was that? because it was ruining my life. <laughs> and uh, I think I, I, I'd known it for a long time. I, I mean, I have had a problem with drink from a very young age, actually, when I first started drinking. I think because, I mean, I can see it very clearly now, but I couldn't at the time. I was very, very shy as a child. And I always felt like on the edge of things, or a bit like an alien, like I didn't really fit in. And so it always felt like I was holding my breath a bit or something, you know, and something awful was going to happen. The first time I had a mouthful of alcohol, it was like, oh, it took that feeling away. So it was incredibly powerful. It was like, I feel normal now, you know. But the trouble with that is if you, you know, if you start to rely on that, it kind of, you become dependent on it. That That's just the rule of addiction. And that's what happened to me over a period of quite a few years. Um so throughout my 20s and 30s, I, I got into trouble quite a bit with drink, really. You know, it kind of was controlling me rather than the other way around. And it was starting to hurt the people that I cared about most. So I, I hit rock bottom, I guess, when I was 39 and decided that enough was enough. And I'd, had, I'd probably drunk enough for three lifetimes in that time anyway. <laughs> and did the people who cared about you, your friends, family, try and talk to you about this? Before oh, then? yes. Well, m- my husband was the only one, Ian, who saw it really up close and personal because obviously you know we were living together and uh, he was the one who'd have to fish me out of hedges and stuff you know <laughs> on the way back from the pub on a Friday night um, so yeah he did try and talk to me and uh, and I did see that if I didn't if I carried on the way I was going I would lose him and I think you know I had a flash of clarity where I thought god if I lose him I'll I'll lose everything else because nothing else will matter you know and I just thought oh my god I can see how people end up on the streets you know, if you lose the things that are most important to you, then, you know, whatever. So I stopped, yes, when I was, just before I was 40, yeah. And how easy was it just to stop? Well, I had a huge amount of support from very good friends and uh, people with similar problems. That's always, it's the same with the creative writing, actually. When you're when you're sharing things that you, you've got in common, it, it just changes everything because you realise you're not alone and that, you know it's doable really and and the other people kind of experience the same things and so so it was quite hard but I tell you giving up smoking was much harder <laughs> I gave up smoking four years later and I still would kill to have a fag if I'm honest which is a terrible thing to say but I, I don't <laughs> tell us about your second piece of music Janet oh this is quite timely actually because uh, it's Lou Reed walk on the wild side and uh, I uh I first heard this when I was at art college, when I was about se- uh, 17, I think. And this very cool student was playing it on a great big ghetto blaster that he had. And we were we were out sketching somewhere. And I just thought, my God, that's so cool. And it just was like a very electric experience. Holly came from Miami, FLA. Hitchhiked away across USA. Plucked her eyebrows on the way, shaved her legs, and then he was a she. She says, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. Said, hey, honey, take a walk on the wild side. (laughs) 
the back room she was everybody's darling but she never lost her head even when she was given head she says hey babe take a walk on the wild side said hey babe take a walk on the wild side and the colored girls go do 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 Little Joe never once gave it away Everybody had to pay and pay Lou Reed, Walk on the Wild Side, Janet Lee's second track. Um, you've just mentioned your husband, Ian, who you describe as the kindest, most wonderful man you've known next to your dad and granddad. How did you meet? Oh, um, we were actually online dating pioneers. Yes, we were. Um, I, I split up from a quite a long-term relationship and my mum was staying with me and she convinced me to do it. She egged me on. And it was quite early days then, you know, it's datingdirect.com. So I signed up and I, I didn't sign up, I just did a search. And actually Ian came up top of the search results. And my mum said to me, go on, send him an email, he looks nice. <laughs> and I said, no, I can't, I can't. And she said, yes, you can, you've got nothing to lose. So I did. How creative was that email? I'm th- imagining, Janet, that you must have been able to craft a no, beautiful... No, no, it wasn't. It was, it was pathetic. It just said, <laughs> I see you're... Because I think it said something like, I see you're... Because he, he had his own design company. I see you're a designer. I'm a copywriter. I think we might get on quite well. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you were right. And it wasn't long before you decided to get married. No, it was... We, we first met on the 17th of October uh, the, in the year 2000. And then we were married six months and one day later which was fantastic. So, I mean, I knew as soon as I, pretty much as soon as I met him, which is bizarre, because I'd always said, oh, I'm never getting married, you know, I don't believe in all that, you know, terribly bohemian, you know, but uh, I changed my mind when I met him. Now, you weren't really writing poetry or, or anything at that time, um, so no romantic love letters. Oh, yes, there were actually quite a lot of romantic love letters, yeah, um, because just after we'd met, I went away for nearly three weeks to stay with a very good friend of mine who happened to live in the Seychelles at that time, and I spent virtually the whole time writing to Ian, so it was kind of like a diary-stroke lo- long love letter. It was thousands of words long. I was doing it every day. I was completely obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you start writing poetry again? What made you do that? Oh, it was a few years later, um, it was in 2011. I went on a, um, with Janet Bridal actually, we took our mums, we both took our mums to Greece on a retreat kind of holiday with a company called Serenity Retreat, run by the most lovely woman called Kim. It's a fantastic company. And um, we, were, we were doing meditation and mindfulness as part of the kind of self-development part. And then the rest of it was a holiday. And I think it was the combination of um, meditation, which I'd not really done properly before, and then doing these massive long sea swims on my, you know, on my own. I love the sea, and uh, and it was like the, the. It sounds really dramatic, but it was like the words were coming back into me from the sea, <laughs> and I'd rush back, going, "I need some paper. I've got to write a poem. I've got another one." <laughs> and they were really bad. They were really bad. But but I was writing again, which was amazing. This brings us neatly onto your third piece of music. Oh yes, this is uh, Morchiba. Um, and I just love, I love her voice. I think her voice is amazing. But also, I love this one because it is about the sea.
Talking to the sea Crowds of people wait for me Seagulls scavenge Still ice cream Worries vanish Within my dream Chiba the sea because we are on the Conister Rock this afternoon with Janet Lees who is drawn to the sea I think you'd say would you Janet? Yes I absolutely love it I've, I am actually a Pisces I'm not saying that I believe in that but it is uncanny because I do love water and um, I've always been like drawn like a magnet to any form of water since I was really really young and, uh, and the sea in particular I love the sea and I do love swimming in the sea but only in the summer now it's just a bit too cold (laughs) and we were talking about the fact that this holiday in Greece back in 2011 was what really brought you back to poetry to writing I mean some of it you said was pretty bad in your own opinion would you have been happy showing anybody that well I did because I didn't realize it was bad at the time (laughs) oh no it's not about good and bad but it was very it was quite it was unedited let's say you know it was it was a bit unedited and it was a little bit over the top in terms of uh, emotion because probably because I hadn't written anything for so long and so I really you know I just came back from that holiday with a raging need to write but also to to be able to express myself better in the way that I wanted to express myself and I was feeling frustrated because I knew I wasn't saying it in the way that I wanted to say it so I um so I decided I had to do a course and uh, I, I signed up at Lancaster for the creative writing MA and I used to go over it was a part-time over two years and I used to go over every week on the on the boat for for the workshops <laughs> across the sea across the sea and in fact yeah one of my tutors he signed one of his books to me and he said to Janet who comes every week across the sea <laughs> you have had a number of poems um published you've won awards how does that feel it's very nice actually <laughs> I love it. I love it. But I have to be really careful with that because it is quite, it is a bit of an ego thing, you know. And uh, I remember um, Alan Bennett saying that, you know, he says you get into this thing where when you, when, you know, when you start to get stuff published and so you have a piece in it. He said, oh, I have a piece in The Guardian or whatever, you know, I'm published. And then he's thinking, where's my double page spread in the in the New Statesman, you know. So it's kind of not the most important thing and and you have to remember that I think when you're a writer that the most important thing is the feeling that you get when you're doing it you know that feeling of being in the flow and kind of doing it just for the sake of it and absolutely being in it and not wanting to do anything else and not being bored or distracted 
that is priceless. And also, there are other things in life that are more important than writing, you know, um, like relationships and things like that. So you have to kind of keep it in perspective. But it is really lovely. Of course it is, because we're all insecure. And I think sometimes, no matter how many awards you get or prizes you win or how many you still think oh god I'm not good enough because you're comparing yourself with someone else and we all do that you know and I know poets who are much you know more widely published than me and I've got a friend who's just had a collection published and she's the same she just thinks oh I'm not I'm not good enough I'm not good enough you know so yeah it's great but it's not it's not the be all end all but it does it is good to get that kind of validation from your peers I guess yeah you talk about other things being more important than getting that recognition and I suppose that was something that you felt really keenly early in 2014 which was an incredibly difficult time for you because your youngest sister Carol died. How did you cope with that? I um, I didn't cope, well I know I did cope with it, I mean we had to as a family and I think you know when she, when she died it was very sudden and it was unexpected and um, we came together as a family in the most amazing way actually and that was a quite a beautiful thing because we were just there together in our little bubble and you know planning the funeral for two weeks and my sister came my other sister Nikki came over from France and you know we were so close and I realized for the first time ever I guess that we were that we are really close and that they are the most important people to me in the world you know apart from my husband and um and I, I, you know, I've learned a lot, a lot through that, and the whole, the whole thing of grief, you know, because I do remember at a funeral thinking, oh well, you know, because it was just desperate, and I remember thinking, well, in a year it it won't feel this bad, but it isn't like that, you know, grief isn't like that. It's like you don't, it doesn't kind of get any less. Maybe you, the waves get further apart, but the feeling is still the same. It's still as deep, you know, when you allow yourself to think about it, or when you when you do. And um, and I just feel I have grown up a lot actually since Carol died, and uh, I've had to take a look at a good look at myself and a good look at you know we were saying what's important, and so I think I've got things in a better order of priority now. Although I still work far too much, but you know my relationships now are definitely top priority, and everything else is kind of a bonus really. But um, but another thing that definitely helped me has helped me and continues to help me is writing and you know self-expression because I'm able to in some way kind of go around the edges of that feeling and you know make little inroads into it each time a little bit more maybe I just did something recently I was doing a course with the poetry school which is fantastic online resource they do online courses which is great if you live in the Isle of Man and um, one of the prompts was about um, writing a letter what would you say to somebody that you can't you know who's not here anymore and and that enabled me to write something that then became a sort of visual piece as well, uh, like a piece of art. And then that's now found a home, you know, in the outside world, th- thankfully. So it was kind of a way to honour her as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think I, if I for two months after she died, I couldn't write a word. And that was awful. It was awful not being able to write. And I went on a women's writing retreat and the women there were so lovely and so kind. I was able to start writing again, and uh, so it was a lifesaver, really. Tell us about your fourth track. Oh, right, yes. Um, Moby. It is Moby, isn't it? Yes, Moby and Ever Loving. I, I just, I love this music so much.
Moby, ever loving the fourth piece of music chosen by our Conister Rock guest Janet Lees, who is a bit of a darner. Yeah. Yes. What do you like to darn? <laughs> I'll darn anything. Give me your old socks. I'll have a go. Wish I'd brought them in with me. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Women Today. In just a moment, we're going to be hearing from Judith Lay about the very latest from the Guild. Women today. It is 13 minutes to three. After three o'clock, Ben Hartley is here. Good afternoon and a packed programme today. We've got the Domino's Pizza Challenge, the final Gogglebox guru of the week. And we're very excited as well because the cast and crew, or some of them anyway, from the producers Ooh. are in the studio just after three o'clock. It all opens the uh, Douglas Choral Union show. The producers, based on the Mel Brooks musical, it's going to be brilliant, opens a week tomorrow. So we'll have an atta with all the team just after three to see what's in store. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Ben Hartley and uh, speaking of excitement it's building down at the Villa Marina as the Guild reaches its climax and with all the details about what's happening is our very own Judith Lay. Hello Jude. Hello Beth. Yes the excitement is building and it all starts on stage in the Royal Hall at six o'clock this evening when we have the Sheffield Plate which is the highest award the Guild offers to our young singers and with me now is Olivia Black and out of the nine competitors for the Sheffield Plate five of them are from Singer that happens to be Olivia's singing troupe. Olivia, good afternoon. How are you feeling? Good afternoon. I'm absolutely delighted. It's been a great week with the students and they're all very excited getting into their little frocks as we talk. Apart from Zach, he won't be wearing a frock. (laughs) (laughs) Olivia, you've got over a hundred pupils in Sing Up. How on earth do you manage to teach them all? And you teach them to a very high standard because you've had a very successful week, haven't you? Well, yeah, it's been great. We started off as a small little um, harmony group actually in 2013 with 30 students and now, as you say, it's grown to over a hundred. I teach them in small groups, small age groups, which makes it easy to teach the guild songs. And it just really seems to work for the younger ones, um, singing with each other, getting used to singing in front of people. You do love to make it fun for them and they all look very, very happy. They really do. Yeah, I do. Um, I, I, I've been doing this since I was six. I haven't ever missed a guild or a girl solo. So I remember how nerve wracking it can be. So I try to encourage them and make it fun. And we've got another big night tomorrow night. And joining me now are uh, Chrissy Sutcliffe and Lisa Kreisky, who are responsible for the festival's finest Enter Stage Door Productions. Absolutely. So uh, we're in charge of um, the festival's finest show, which is at 7.30 tomorrow night in the Royal Hall. Tickets are still available at uh, villagaity.com. Um, it's a, a kind of a showcase of lots of, some of the most amazing performances. Some people... Um, we advertise in the back of the programme that some people will definitely be included, but we've got some lovely surprises up our sleeve as well, so it's going to be a great variety show. Well, and Lisa, you're nodding and smiling. Are you in charge of the surprises? Well, we're both kind of in charge of them, really. Um, but we, as Christy says, um, they are pre-selected in the back of the programme the winners of the classes that will definitely be in there but of course it's a show it's an all singing all dancing um, all lights all sound so um, we do like to put some surprises in there that um, people perhaps wouldn't expect why not well it's a great atmosphere we loved it last year because all the competition is put aside now and we can just all have the fun and if you haven't been able to get down to any of the guild coming tomorrow night is just a great way to get the flavour of it and the quality of it absolutely we've got singers we've got um, groups of singers we've got dancers uh, instrumentalists uh, spoken word drama so it's a real sort of snapshot of all the things that happen during the week and I mean oh we've got a, a brass player as well but um, 
it's a snapshot of all the things that happen and it's a great way of having a look at what's going on without coming to a, a massive big long class but having a real flavour of the event and it's it's just it's a fab fab night and well worth the ticket price. Well, it's a complete change of hats for you both because you're doing that for tomorrow night, but you've also been mums with children competing this week, haven't you? How nerve-wracking is that, Lisa? Uh, oh, well, I've never experienced it. It's um, my son's first first year in the Guild as a soloist, um, and it was absolutely terrifying, I must say, but um, he did very well. They, all the kids did very, very well. Um, at that age, there's no, there's no competition. You know, they all just want to get up there and have fun, and that's something that we really encourage especially as you were talking about for tomorrow night for the festival's finest because there is it's not a competition the kids and the adults are just getting up there enjoying it and doing what they love which is really important to us and they're all already winners they are all already winners you are seeing the best this is perfectly true and of course just a quick reminder that we start the evening six o'clock tonight with the Sheffield Plate where we've got these nine terrific youngsters who'll be singing again then we've got the vocal duets final that's going to be great really and then following that the Cleveland medal test and hands up who would not like to be adjudicating that six terrific singers and and somebody's going to take a Cleveland medal home that is going to be tremendous isn't it be absolutely fantastic I can't wait because actually I will have the privilege after each one of those classes has been won to invite them to sing again tomorrow night at the festival's finest show so if you miss them tonight you'll be able to see the winners of those classes again tomorrow as well and of course speaking of the Cleveland medal our compare for the festival's finest is actually multi Cleveland winner um, Mandy Griffin along with Jack Divers so we're really lucky to have those guys on board as well well they did a fantastic job and I won't I won't do, say anything about is anybody going to try and throw Mandy over their shoulder and carry her off the stage <laughs> oh jeez as, as, as happened as it well oh, well Beth I knew you'd stop me there I knew just when I was getting to the interesting well, bit I think we should leave people hanging with that one actually it's uh, quite a good place to leave them maybe Go on then. All right. If you insist. (laughs) Judith, thank you so much for being with us every day this week, keeping us up to date with what is happening at the Guild. And uh, Jude will be back later. Such some fantastic performances have been uh, over this past week. Manx Radio's coverage of the Manx Music Festival is brought to you by SpectrumWindows.im. It is seven minutes to three. Um, It's a bank holiday weekend, so Women Today will be back on Tuesday with some biking banter, talking about a fundraiser for the Rob Vine Fund. But we have been joined on the Conister Rock this afternoon by Janet Lees, who incidentally is a newbie on the Creative Network, a group of women who promote local art, and a big weekend this weekend for you, Janet. Yes, it is the Isle of Man Art Festival this week, uh, this weekend. So it's over the three days. It's only £5 for the whole three days, and that gets you a festival guide and an artist directory, and entry into... I don't know how many venues across the island. Uh, it's an awful lot, but there's 45 participa- participating artists and a lot of them are doing tryout sessions and demonstrations. So it's across all of the art, the visual arts. So you've got pottery, sculpture, painting, photography, uh, embroidery, everything really. It's fantastic. And uh, yes, uh, Solby, Peel, um, Port Erin, Ramsey, it really is island-wide this year. So um, it's going to be a fantastic weekend. Well, Janet, it has been lovely having you with us on the Conister Rock this afternoon. I wonder how you would fare out there on your own. Obviously, it's surrounded by sea, which you would quite like. Bit of solitude, is that good for your writing? Yes, I absolutely have to have solitude, I must say. I do like being, I love being with people, but I I am quite an introvert. So if I've been with people, you know, for for a bit of a while, I then need to sort of 
go back into my cave and kind of, you know, recharge. So, yeah, solitude is great. I sometimes think that's my spiritual home out there on the Tower of Refuge. Um the thing you wouldn't like to see on the Tower of Refuge, of course, is uh, plastic grass. You've got a bit of an issue with that, have you? Oh, uh, yeah, I just, unnecessary plastic really upsets me because I think, you know, as, as, as a sea lover and a sea swimmer, um, there is so much unnecessary plastic in the ocean. And I think it's the statistics are so depressing. It's something like another truckload gets put into the oceans every minute. It's really, really horrendous. And I've seen some really upsetting films about you know where it Women all gathers today. in the pacific and the pacific garbage patch so uh plastic yeah not good wouldn't be too good though i suppose to be there and uh, not have access to the apprentice which is a, a <laughs> bit of a a bit of a thing you love is it oh you had to get that in didn't you that's that's like my secret that's like my guilty pleasure yeah the, the apprentice i i don't really like what it stands for but it's just absolutely fascinating and i'm completely addicted and me and my mum watch it and we just text each other the whole time so yeah and what is next for you? Are you in the middle of writing anything? Is there anything big coming up? I'm actually working on a collection of um, uh, photographs and um, poems that kind of sit side by side. Um, it's all about like impermanence and decay, and it's, it sounds quite miserable, but it's not really. Um, it's all about yeah, it's all about the sort of renewal of life and and how things change and and renew and everything. So uh, I'm working on that and a poetry collection as well simultaneously. So yeah. Um, but not actively taking part in uh, this uh, arts festival this weekend, but really, as you say, just encouraging as many people as possible to get down and see what's happening because the, the wealth of talent, we talk about this so often on the show, is just huge over here. It really is amazing. And uh, I mean, I shall be, do, I've got to work this weekend actually, but I've, I'll be doing my best to, to get down and do what I can. Um, especially because the artists, some of the artists are throwing open their studios. So that's a fantastic opportunity to just see them at work in their in their workplace, which I think is a real privilege, actually. Well, Janet, uh, tell us about the final piece of music you've chosen. Oh, right. Yes, this is um, this is David Bowie. And I mean, David Bowie means an awful lot to me, has always uh, been a big part of my life uh, as an artist, as well as a musician. I think he's an incredible artist. And uh, also, he was a big favourite of my sister as well, all, all three of us, and we used to listen to him a lot together. And I, I just had to choose this one because it is from his last album that he made before he died. And I, I think it's a really incredible song. It, it seems to me that it really does bridge two worlds. So it's Lazarus. Look up here, I'm in heaven I've got scars that can't be seen I've got drama can't be stolen Everybody knows me now Today 